Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you so much for tuning into the Big Honker Podcast. The past couple of months have been some amazing growth, and we appreciate every single one of you. Please go check out our YouTube channel, Big Honker Podcast. It's super easy to find. Uh, all of our episodes go up on it, and the first family of waterfowl is up on our YouTube channel, the Big Honker Podcast. Go check out no, season subscribe. one. Subscribe. Like and subscribe. Season one, because season two, we are filming now. We will be filming season two, episode two, next week. Okay, here we go, folks. If you're going to go hunt ducks, any kind of waterfowl, you're hunting dove, you might as well be shooting the best. Shoot boss. Go unleaded, folks. Boss is the way at bossshotshells.com. Reach out to the mad scientist over there. They've got it going on. It's the best stuff in the world. I've been waterfowl hunting for basically 50 years now, probably 47 to be exact. 47 years, and it's like I'm going back in time because when you hit them with boss, it's like shooting lead back in 1974. So anyways, go check them out at BossShotShells.com. Also, go check out Dive Bomb Industries for all of your silhouette needs. Uh, I got this question a lot. How many do it? What's the minimum amount of silhouettes that I need to have a successful hunt? If you're hunting lesser specs, it's 50 dozen. That's the number. Dive Bomb has made it extremely cost efficient to have a lot of decoys. And they pack up nice and neat. You always got to get the bags. Keep your trailer looking clean, looking fresh all season long. Uh, you can't go wrong with anything that dive bombs. What's sells. what's dive bombs? What's it run for five dozen? Uh, three fifty. They might have gone up. Might be let's like say four hundred. Let's say it's four hundred dollars. Four hundred dollars for for. So, so you're gonna need four thousand dollars for four thousand dollars. Four of your buddies can chip in. Everybody throws in a thousand dollars, and you got a lesser spread to yep. rival anybody else's. Works perfect. It's easy to put up. It's easy to store. No problem at all. It's divebombindustries.com. And check out their floaters if you hunt a lot of ponds. So. Go check out the boys at Pacific Custom Calls. They have made my favorite call in the entire planet, the BA Lesser Call. It is a screamer. It feels good in my hand, and it rips. So they've also got a promo code. If you want to save a little bit of money, which who doesn't, use the promo code BHP25. You can save 25% off at checkout. They've got the best duck call on the market with the PCD, and uh, their spec calls are out of this world. They have two spec calls that you can choose from, the 530 which is one that I really like. And they also brought, they launched a brand new speckle belly call, the BBS. It's a board out speckle belly call. It is easy to run and it sounds phenomenal. So check them out, pacificcustomcalls.com. You can look them up on Instagram, Pacific Calls, and use that promo code. It's there for a reason, BHP25. Also, check out the boys over at, or the man over at Gun Dog Outdoors, Mr. Alex Langbell. Alex is in Canada shooting the piss out of the oh birds my, at me right he's now. He's wearing my speckle bellies out. There's not going to be any specs down here this year. He's going to he's he'll have killed them all. But you need the field trauma kit in your pickup truck and in your blind bag. It's got everything that you need to stitch a wound, stop some bleeding. Alex is a retired first responder, so everything in the field trauma kit is what you're going to need. Also, I like the quick release system. I latch Lou in, and it's got just a little pulley whenever I'm ready to send them. Pull that off of him, and away he goes. And then when he comes back, just hook him back up. Keeps him safe and out of the line of fire. So if you've got a dog that breaks, or even if you have a dog that doesn't break, and you want to prevent an accident from happening, check out the quick release system. He's also got check cords. He's got uh, food and water bowls. He's got it all. So check him out, Gundog Outdoors. And we're brought to you by Jeff Stanfield Approved Shin Gear Waiters. I'll just let you take this one, Jeff. I busted out the waiters this time for the yeah. first time in probably 20 years, 25 years. I've never seen you in waiters, so it's been Mate, that long. Twenty Over 25 years. Most comfortable waiters I've ever worn for sure in my life. 
The thing that was the comfort was the easy to get in and easy to get out. Nothing worse than putting on a pair of waders. I'm telling you right now, especially if you've got a, a belly. If you got a little muffin top going on, little, waders little are pooch. a pooch. Well, even a big pooch. Waders, the bigger the pooch, the harder it is to get them on. Pain in the ass to put off and on. These got a zipper on them. I mean, whoever's ever thought about putting a zipper in the damn waders? You unzip them, you put them on, you zip it back up. The boots get on perfect. When you get done, you zip it down a little bit and you just kind of push the boot and they come right off. The best most comfortable waders on the market. It's a once-in-a-lifetime investment. You buy them once, you don't ever have to buy them another pair the rest of your life at shingearwaders.com. Because they have a guarantee that they will stand behind their product for as long as you stand in them. So if you put a hole in it, you send them back, they fix it and send it right back to you. So customer service is unmatched. Also brought to you by the boys over at Lucky Duck. And the ladies, I guess I should say, too. i got to quit saying just the guys. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot of women out there. A little, little chauvinistic. It's dove season here in Texas. It is teal season here in Texas. And let me tell you, they got spinners for everything. Uh, dove, duck, uh, they got goose flappers, which are good for later in the year. Uh, but right now we're focusing on dove. And I tell you what, six, seven of those dove spinners out there, and they, they the dove will commit like ducks. It is fa- It's fascinating to watch. Um, they've also got one of the best blinds on the market, the two by four blind. Um, if you're a predator hunter, they've got stuff for you, uh, as far as e-collars and stuff. So kind of, uh, they got, they got a wide variety of, of things that you can buy. So you should check them out at luckyduck.com. And if you're needing motion of some sort, and my favorite product of 2022 is the Lucky Duck Swimmer HDI. You put it on the water and it looks like a duck swimming in your decoys. So, unrivaled motion got a good looking wake on it and it looks fantastic i cannot wait to use it this year that is at luckyduck.com also brought to you by logan and rebel over at looking glass duck club podcast all you got to do is go to their patreon type in the looking glass podcast donate to their patreon account and you will have access to their entire library and we have a giveaway going on with them and details to follow uh it's going to be for a a three man three a three man goose hunt Three-day goose hunt, six-man. Six-man, so, three-days goose hunt, lodge and meals come in on Sunday, leave on Wednesday, get a hangout with Logan Pite, the legend himself, Mr. Oakland Raider, Las Vegas Raider, Mr. Owen 2 Raiders, matter of fact, at that deal at this point. Him time. and I are big Raiders fans. They're big Raiders fans, big, big, big Raiders fans. So check them out at Looking Glass Duck Club Just go podcast. to go to their Patreon, and it'll just type in their podcast, and away you go. And if you want to be comfortable this hunting season, need to do it in the Stanfield stool made by Alpha Outdoor Industries. And they've also got a blind caddy coming up for your favorite two-by-four blinds. There you go. A hook onto your A-frame blind, and then you can keep all of your stuff uh, right there in front of you. The Stanfield stool is phenomenal. These guys are a machine shop, so if you've got an idea for a product that you think that the waterfowl world needs to see, I highly suggest that you get a hold of them, and they can mock up whatever uh, crazy idea you might have. So uh, the Stanfield stool, can't wait to use it. Also, we're brought to you by Bangtail Whiskey, Mr. Brandon Bing. Uh, he has crafted a delicious taste in whiskey along with making some outstanding music. Uh, Bangtail Whiskey is not for the faint of heart. Bangtail embodies the select few who believe in hard work and relish in the opportunity to take a step back to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Whether relaxing for a midweek swaller or communing on the weekend with quality people, Bangtail is sure to provide a truly unique and tasteful experience time and time again. With deep southern roots, Bangtail provides a first-class, handcrafted whiskey experience. Pour a jigger of Bangtail and enjoy. Must be 21 years or older. Brought to you by our good friends at Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. If you need a hunt, 
camping trip, <laughs> buy a canoe, go to Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. No, seriously, folks, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Me and Tony started this business 30 years ago. Proud to be in the business 30 years. Proud to be at Knox and Haskell County, Texas. If you're looking for a waterfowl hunt, I do have the week before Thanksgiving, I have an opening on Monday, Tuesday of the days before Thanksgiving, and I think I have those the, are primo dates, oh, by the way, premium days. And I and I have a couple of days still. I have the week before Christmas, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday before Christmas. I have room for one spot. So, anyways, both of those dates, six people, private party. We can shoot geese, ducks, cranes, anything you want to do. Lodging meals, pheasants, wild hogs. Uh, not even we do a domestic hog, I guess, if you wanted one. Anyways, give us a call, 940-658-3172 at Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. And every morning at Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, we start off with Dirty Duck Coffee. If your coffee's not the duck, it's going to suck. The Missouri Boat Ride Blend, a little bit of high velocity, gets me going every single morning out here. It's what I fill my thermos up with on those nice cold mornings in the blind. Check them out, dirtyduckcoffee.com. They've also got Instagram. They make fantastic premium roast coffee, and they've actually got a little contest going on right now so uh check out their instagram for details on it but yeah you go to their website you can order coffee ship straight to your door and it's delicious um i really 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 enjoy the missouri boat ride blend and i had sons up guns up one another one of their roasts at game fair and it was delicious also so you cannot go wrong no matter what you get from dirty duck coffee and we're brought to you by double t british kennels folks if you need a started dog you need a puppy you need your dog trained you need to call it Double T British Kennels. We had a British lab work here one time. Rhea, my dad brought it here in 1987, 88. As good a dog as I've ever been when it comes to be the disposition that they use, the looks, the drive, the smarts. You need to check out Corey and them at Double T British Kennels. Good looking dogs. Uh, they've got a stud, stud dog there. So um, check them out if you're needing a, a dog for this coming waterfowl season. They have dogs of every age and every level of training and uh, different ages. So you want a puppy, they got it. You want to start a dog, they got it definitely. So Double T British Kennels. Last but not least, we are brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. For 85 years, they have been putting ducks back into the sky for waterfowlers. Uh, 80 cents out of every dollar goes back into wetlands and uh, wetland conservation and ducks. So they put uh, they put their money where their mouth is, and you don't have to worry about your dollars not going to uh, what you think they are. They're a great organization at Ducks Unlimited, and we are proud to be associated with them. I hope that you would uh, become a Ducks Unlimited member or go to one of the uh, shows that they have coming up. Spend a little bit of money with them. It puts more ducks back in the sky for us. If you go to the duck factories anywhere in the United States and Canada, and you see where the ducks are making ducks, making whoopee and sending little baby ducks down the way. Everywhere you go, there'll be a DU head sticker everywhere you go. And when you see that duck head, you know exactly what it is. It'll be a DU facility, uh, conservation area, duck factory, whatever you want to call it. That's Ducks Unlimited. Check them out at, is it DucksUnlimited.org? Uh, I think it's Ducks.org. Ducks.org. Type in Ducks Unlimited into your search engine and they'll come up. I promise. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode of the podcast, we are joined by Arliss Reed. He is the general manager at Habitat Flats, the Grand. And uh, we talk about everything they got going on up there. Uh, the waterfowl season's coming up, hatch numbers, a lot of good stuff in here. So we hope you enjoy it. Here he is, Arliss Reed.
here we go. Three, two, one. Boom, and welcome to the Big Hawker Podcast brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. I'm Jeff Stanfield with the world famous Andy Shaver. That's right. I can't whistle right now, but that is right. Why can't you whistle? Mm-mm. Ain't working. With us today from we're we're at you're in you're at the Grand right now, Arliss. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The man doing all the work. I notice he is on a tractor and he's doing dirt work. And I notice mowing, the, ba, mowing, and in the background, I don't see Tony Vandemore anywhere. <laughs> so does Tony do Tony. any of the labor, or are you going to take up for your boss? Or are you going to tell it the truth? No, I got to take up for him. He. uh Tony's, you know, he's, if there's something to be done, Tony will do it. Now, granted, some things he doesn't like doing anymore, which that's all right. I guess there's probably some things you don't like doing anymore. No, but, uh, that's Tony, not, that's not true. I even guided a teal hunt this weekend. Guided a teal hunt. I did. I put, them, did I your put waders, the birds on them. Did your waders even get wet? No. Okay. Okay. Artist, Tony, Tony guided, Tony guided a teal hunt this morning and, uh, I'm sure he'll be doing something this afternoon. Who knows? Are, have you? There's lots of stuff to be done this time of the year. Have you wore shin gear waders yet? I have not. Let me tell you something, son. They are a playground for a fat man. I'm telling nah. you, I have never Actually, been so comfortable in my life when waders. Tony gave me like four pairs of waders that he had, you know, older ones. These might leak. These might not. I don't know. Good, you, you can have them. So... The first time in my life, I'm wearing normal human waders. I'm no longer wearing fat man waders. <laughs> the uh, well, these the, here, pair, the, the these small were, boots with the parachute up top. You're not you're not in that anymore. My, yeah, no, no. I I used to be in a 14 stout, not because my feet were that big, because my belly was that big, and now I can wear about a 12 regular. Mine, so mine are real roomy up top. I had lots of extra room I did not need up top. It wasn't one of them things where you zip yourself in and you're like, and it just kind of holds you in, but. It's still the most comfortable waders I have ever had in my entire life. The most comfortable thing is the boot. It feels like well, you, think my buddy, you think my buddy RT at Rolling Thunder and Shem would get me a pair, but I guess not. They are the best waders. Highly recommend for comfort. Andy Warm, I'm telling you right now, I could wear them things just out on a duck hunt in a cold day and would be comfortable mm-hmm. in the field with them. They, they're they're yeah. that nice. They're very nice. Very, very nice. I mean... You can haul uh, the boots phenomenal. The upper, it, it's just, it's all good stuff. So, are you? Is that Cooper's blind right here where you're at? Because we're looking at you in the yeah, woods so right this, now. So this hole right here is one of the timber holes we have down here at the Grand. This one's called High Cotton because, well, if you look, there's a big dead cottonwood tree right there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you like that old song goes, you know, good times here not forgotten. But Coop's blind is right over there, and he's in Canada right now. So keeping this thing ready to go keep the i actually planted some clover in here to keep the horse weeds and all that stuff out and give the deer something to chew on and we'll flood this oh last week in october get it ready for coop um the missouri river is right here behind me and then just over this levee over here in front of in front of me is some of our flooded ag stuff so it's kind of a little bit of a corridor between the missouri river and some of our stuff and grand pass is just over to the west about a mile from where i'm sitting right now so this is just uh, one of those traffic timber hole spots now, will you have to mow that one more time before you flood it, or will it be pretty close? Uh, I mowed it pretty short, and we haven't had rain. I think it stopped raining here in, like, April, so I don't right. know that it's ever going to rain again. Um, so I shouldn't have to mow this again. Um, I hope not anyway. How but long will it take to, to. when you turn the water on? How long does it take from – how many days of pumping do you have to do? This one here, 
it's a little sandy because it's along the river and it's got a two inch well it'll probably take oh it'd be huntable in a day but three days to get it full of the bank full and then we'll keep pumping it pretty much throughout the season um you can shut it off you know he'll shut the, the pump off while he hunts and then kick it back on overnight just to keep up with seep and all that now does cooper d- d- does he does does he do anything with the blinds or is that done when he's already left for canada um we'll have the blinds brushed and all that stuff while those guys are up north there's a crew of us that'll stay here in missouri and we'll, we'll do teal season and then we'll work on you know, we have, I don't know, 30 stand-up blinds to brush and 40-some pits between the two places. And by the time they get back from Canada, that's all done. Um, but there'll be plenty of stuff to do when they get back, you know, getting decoys out. And they all go to their spots because kind of anymore, we kind of have our own places that, you know, you send a guy somewhere. That way there's no surprises when you get there in the morning. Um, it's your electronics are all, you know, mojos, whatever. That's all on you. Your blinds brushed, it's cleaned out. You can't get to another spot and blame somebody else if the mojos are dead or there's the the blind needs brushed again. It's it's kind of your responsibility when it's your spot. Now, does everything stay in the blind as far as what you're going to need on a day to day, like decoys, uh, spinners, it, all that stuff? It it depends. Um, this spot here, there'll be. Well, last year on the podcast, we talked about one of those mojo boss things there, that yes. switchboard deal. Yeah, the switchboard. This one. This blind will have a boss in it probably. Um, last year we ran a permanent spread in here. I don't think we're going to do that again this year. Um, we'll just set them and pull them every day. Um, but How the decoys m- will stay right here. They'll just go in a sled. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the motion, you know, Cooper will set a jerk cord. They'll probably stay here. Um, you know, and he'll have, he'll take his lucky duck splashers and all that stuff back in with him in, at the end of the day. Uh, but for the most part, we pick everything up, but some stuff will stay here. How many decoys are we talking about here? We talking three dozen, six dozen? This one, he'll he'll probably run seven or eight dozen floaters. Last year, we put 20 dozen in here and left it as a permanent spread to see if it would make that much of a difference. And I don't know that it made a whole lot of difference. I mean, it makes it easier for Coop. I'll kind of let him make that decision if he wants to run a permanent spread or if he wants to pick and pull every day. Now, do you have to worry about, I mean, because I've always heard that if water freezes around your decoys, they could cra- it could crack it. Do you pull it? If you're going to have a permanent spread, is that a problem? Or, or when you kick the pump so the, back on, does that keep water from freezing? So these, these, pump, these holes in here with the, with the well pumping 58-degree water into it, it really won't freeze much. And we also, the permanent spreads will set foam-filled decoys. Mm. So it really, don't worry about that. It, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, if it gets real cold, they'll get ice around them, you know, they'll like rim around the decoys, and that's a pain in the butt. Um, but for the most part, this is such a small hole. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's not a, right. a quarter of an acre, you know, it's, it's small. So that well keeps it pretty much open and we'll throw a couple ice eaters in here when it gets real cold, but that's when it gets good is when it gets real cold. And the, the Missouri river, like I said, is like right there, right over my shoulder. And when that fills up with ducks, these spots get real good. How, um, how dry are y'all right now? We have a couple, Very, hold on a minute. We have um, an echo. I don't know which one we do back there. Do you hear it though? Okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Arliss. How how dry are y'all right now? Very. Uh, it's rained. It rained a half an inch. We'll put it this way. I, I put out some radish seeds in one of our deer plots last week before a half inch rain, and it was so dry it didn't germinate the seed. Like, I mean, it's just as dry as can be. It, it rained a half inch that day. It rained a half inch like August 18th, and then I think the last measurable rain before that was sometime in July. 
Um, we haven't had hardly, and now recently, the last few nights, it's rained all around us, north of us, south of us. I think Iowa got six inches of rain in places just the other night. There was last night we could see thunder or see lightning to the north and to the south, but for some reason, this area of Missouri has just been getting parted and for, that uh, feels. for rain. Yeah, you guys know West Texas is pretty dry. The, Very dry. The, the drought this year is going to be a big player with the migration of waterfowl this year. Really big because it's going to be interesting to see if we don't get some rain where those birds in Nebraska and western Kansas are going to go. Absolutely. And I guess, like, Tony went out to Colorado to visit some family in, like, I want to say it was August. And he said they were the corn out there was, like, two feet tall and tasseled and they were harvesting it for silage in kansas in like august and it was like you know two feet tall but they just that they were just making the best of it yeah um so, blake that he's in western nebraska and like they've already their their corn harvest is done like they yeah they've finished what they're going to finish and um there's going to be a, a big hole where there used to be a lot of food in the central of the country and it's going to be interesting to see if the birds push further west into colorado uh, New Mexico, or if uh, maybe Texas picks up uh, a big swath of birds that we've been missing the last couple of years, it's going to be, and you know, and then it goes back to: Are we going to have any winter, or is it going to be uh, mild and dry like the last three or four have been? So, this is going to be an interesting year, though. If you're a farmer's almanac person, which I personally am not, I'm they not. are saying that it's going to be a bad winter. Them yeah, fuckers but- are never right. I'm not, no. I don't, I don't believe, I mean, I don't know how they come up with these predictions. I think it, if it's all on a calendar and every fourth year, we got to say it's going to be a bad winter. I don't know, but I'm uh, Jeff's dad was a big farmer's almanac guy. So like it was gospel. If it, if it was by God, if the farmer's almanac said it, it was going to happen. But I'm, I think, I think they use a lot of witchcraft to come up with their witchcraft forecast. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys ever, do you guys have wool down there? Do you know what those are? Have what? Woolly bears are like little caterpillars that are mm. orange and black or whatever. No, but no. I've seen so, them before. So up here, there's this uh, in the northern part of the country. There's a saying like, if the woolly bears are black, the winter is going to be bad. You know, if they're instead of half orange, half black, all the woolly bears that I've seen have been black. Oh. So I don't know. I think last year when we talked, there was some Facebook page that Jeff was following that said we were going to have a snow line from. Nebraska to Michigan by Thanksgiving and <laughs> yeah they were off a little bit. Is, Jeff, Jeff, delete him from Facebook. <laughs> yeah, he's he's not one of my that, friends no more. <laughs> that him. couldn't have been further from the truth. Now we did get some cold weather in January last year. Like you know, the second half of our duck season was very 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 good last year. Um, we got cold. We didn't get any snow, but we got enough cold that it made the ducks do what they're supposed to do and you know fly during the day and you know, get on the river and all that stuff. Uh, but we didn't have any measurable snow, really. I don't know that we have any had any at all last year, if I can remember. Right? Maybe a little bit in February, but... I'm trying to remember if we had any... Did we have any snow last year yeah, during, during it, hunting season? It snowed during Christmas. It, it wasn't much. I think I think during Christmas break, we got a little bit of snow. You asked me a question. You didn't don't ask me if we had a foot. It snowed twice during waterfowl season. Did we get more than a dusting? Yes, two times we did, but I don't think we got more than like two or three inches, but it was gone. I think it was 96 the next day. Yeah, that makes sense. The cold, the coldest weather we had last year was when we went to Mexico, so that had been in February. February. That's two years yeah, in a row I, now. I know we got some cold in February, but like the year before in February, we got some cold enough that we could ice fish in Missouri, and last year it never really got that cold. Um, right. But – 
And of course that cold came well after duck season the year before. Hey, I got to so, ask you because all, all of your teal hunting videos, the sun is up pretty high. What, what time do you quit your teal hunt there? So we can't start until sunrise. Oh, in Missouri, we can't shoot them a half an hour before sunrise. Cause they don't want to shoot wood ducks and whatever else is flying around. Um, but we generally hunt from some, you know, we'll get in there, be ready to shoot by sunrise. And I, I like to give it to at least 10 o'clock, uh, mm. usually 10, 10 30, we're done, but we don't hunt in the afternoon. Generally, there's gotta be a lot of sitting around. Cause I know here you can shoot 30 minutes before, and that's where 92% of your action is going to come. It's going to be in that little 30 minutes before, and then just a couple minutes after, but like our teal, once you bang on them and the sun gets up fairly high like it you pack it up it's over with so i have this theory on teal hunting where if you feel like you need to wear a sweatshirt when you walk out of the house in the morning mm -hmm. it's going to be good if you can walk out in a t-shirt it's going to be a little slow yeah and today's high is forecasted for 96 degrees the all-time high is 94 Ooh. for this part of missouri so we are in a pretty big warm front here and tomorrow i think it's supposed to be 97 but then after that it drops out like wednesday's high is like 83 and then i think thursday's high is like 61 right so our our teal season goes out sunday we have high hopes for the for the second you know for the last four days of teal season now it's actually been pretty good the last few days luckily today we only had one client um just the way the season falls we have you know we do groups of three in a 16-day season, you have one day that you just don't have anybody. And luckily for us, that fell on one of the hot, two hottest days of the season. Um, so hopefully, you know, the next guys coming in, we'll have, I think, only half a dozen guys coming in this afternoon. Um, first day of their hunt might be a little slow, but after that, it should start to pick up. Because yeah. if you look up up north, um, Bismarck, you know, Sioux Falls, they have highs, you know, in the 60s starting, I think, tomorrow. Tomorrow, yes, lows I'm in looking the 40s. at it right now. 30s even in Minot. Yeah, and blueing teal don't handle that very well. They don't like to get their toes cold. So they, I'm hoping that um, we wake up in the morning, you know, Wednesday morning, and it's a different world than it is today and tomorrow. That's crazy that y'all are going to cool, because we don't cool off. I'm looking at the forecast now. We cool off next Monday. We got a high of 80, mm -hmm. low 62. Next Tuesday, high 83, low 53. Um, but our season, our season closes the 24th here, doesn't it? I think, so. I think it closes the same time y'all's does. I think I think next Our, Sunday. Ours is the closes last on day. Sunday the twenty fifth. That's gonna be the twenty fifth. Yeah, that'll be ours too. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. us too. The so. day after the world ends. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah world's supposed to end on the twenty fourth. So. Oh, I haven't heard that. Yeah, the Simpsons predicted uh, big asteroids gonna hit and wipe us out. Season twenty four, episode nine of the Simpsons has a uh, an asteroid striking Earth. So. All of the uh, people that come up with the Farmer's Almanac that use their witchcraft, they're also saying now that the Simpsons prediction is going to be right. And season 24, episode 9, means 924, an asteroid's going to strike. Arliss, let me well, ask you an educated question here, okay? If, okay? if the world was ending Sunday the 25th, what is your one thing you would have to get done this week? Oh, jeez. Probably go find Jennifer Lawrence, take her on a date. <laughs> so bang a supermodel. So there you go. Now you, I, you, I just said take her on a date. date. Jeff. That's okay. it. She's, you, she has she's no a wholesome lady. She has no standards though. She is she is completely ripping apart. 
Who in the who in the I know. who is it she's ripping on right now? Uh, probably Harvey Weinstein. She's no, 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 no. She doesn't rip on him. She said that somebody needs to be locked up, and I'm trying to think. It's uh, Tucker Carlson or one of the guys from Fox News. Oh yeah, yeah. She's, I saw something about that. Yeah. Oh, uh, Ben Shapiro. They yeah. were talking about it. There's no place for him in the world, but she slept with Harvey Weinstein. So you want to be Harvey Weinstein's sloppy seconds is your life goal before she, she did Sunday. Get, she did get the. Hunger Games. Well, I don't blame you at all. I, I, I've got no problem with that. I mean, listen, I, you know, I would like to think that she wouldn't judge me based on my politics. So who am I to judge her based on her politics? There you go. There you go, Andy. That, that's too much common sense. You though. got. You got. What are you? What are you doing before the twenty fifth? Before the twenty fifth, I don't know. I, I, you know, I pretty well do what I want to do every day. I'm going to write a bad check and get me a private jet to pick me up, and I'm going to go oh. see Scotland and Ireland because my check would not cover the cost for that private jet, but that's what I'm doing. I would like to go there and go out seeing some places I've never seen. No. So I'm you, gonna, you just do nothing. You're yeah. just going to sit at home. I, Jeff, I'm... Okay, that's good. Me and Arliss got more to go for. I long to just sit at my house and plop my feet up and watch TV. Like, that is... I've. I don't get to do that very much, so that's what I want to do. You know, it's funny. We talk about that sometimes, like, when it's so – you guys know how when the weather's bad, it's, you know, warm, full moon, birds yeah. aren't moving until after shooting light or whatever. We get guests in. It's like I know these guys are super busy, super successful, businessmen, all that. When was the last time you got to sit on the couch and watch a football game without any interruptions? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like sometimes – and I know they're here to hunt and, you know, I, I'm more than happy to take somebody hunting whenever, you know, whatever. I, I, I love it still, but it's like, take advantage of the fact that you don't have anything to do when mm -hmm. it's pouring rain or sometimes when it's real cold, like zero out, we won't go hunting until 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. And some guys, I don't think get frustrated with that or they don't understand. It's like, listen, by the time the birds start to move at 11 or 12, you're going to be done and it's zero out. You're going to be ready to come in. Right. You're going to be cold. You're going to be hungry. Uh, and that's when we want to be there. So we'll sleep in. We'll have a big breakfast. You know, obviously, the guides are going out, checking on a few, you know, making sure pumps are running, all that stuff. But some of the guests, it's just like, man, I know you don't get free time. Just enjoy it. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for that because you, you, I could enjoy being somewhere and just listening to the rain and it being cold, nasty, and miserable. Anything like yeah. that, I really enjoy. When we were in Washington State, the lady at Westport, which was across the – bay from where we stayed at at ocean shores i asked her i said how much snow do y'all get there and she said we don't get much snow but we get lots of freezing rain i said oh i bet it's real quiet here because that town's right on the pacific ocean and there's an inlet there and she goes actually there's a lot of people that come here for the storms i go what because yeah it rains every day and there are people that come on vacation just to come here and sit and drink coffee and watch it rain and storm all day and i thought i could be one of those people i could do that i would enjoy that i could get my head around that yeah just sit and enjoy and listen to the rain. And it just dumps ice and rain all day. I thought, I'm one of those people. That it, So that wouldn't bother me. It would really be convenient if the world ended on Monday and I could just sit on my sit in my chair and watch football all day Sunday. That would be how I would want to go out. So I guess push it back I'm to Monday, not Saturday. I, I think the Jennifer Lawrence thing is out. So I guess probably <laughs> my, birth, my, birthday's, my birthday's the 23rd. We got a cold front coming in. Probably if I really had to pick, I'd like to shoot a limited teal every day for the rest of the season. Yeah. Uh, be able to sit in a tree stand on my birthday and shoot shoot a buck. And then the Cowboys win on Sunday. 
and then let the asteroid hit and just call it good. Well, you ruined that for me. So you want the Cowboys to beat the Giants? You're from New York. I hate the Giants. Oh, gosh <laughs> I, almighty. I grew up in western New York. I'm, I mean, till I was in like seventh grade, I lived in western New York. Then I moved up to northern New York up there by Canada. And that was back when Jim Kelly and the Bills lost four Super Bowls in a row. And for some reason, I grew up hating the Bills, and I don't know why. Uh, when I was, I guess I probably would have been like 12, 11, 12 years old when the Cowboys beat them twice in a row. And I was like, yep, that's my team. That's them. And ever since then, it's been a heartbreak. They beat the Steelers like two years later. But uh, ever since then, it's been our year, and it's never our year. <laughs> and now, you know, the NFC East rivalry, the Giants and all that stuff, I hate the Giants, but I find myself rooting for the Bills. Yeah, I, how could you not? I mean, you can't hate Josh Allen. You can't hate the Bills Mafia. It's just all my buddies are Bills fans. Um, you know, I'm a Cowboys fan. And it's somehow they squeaked out a win yesterday against the Bengals, but I didn't even watch the game because I figured it was going to be an absolute butcher shop. But uh, I don't know. Being a Cowboys fan, it's like that uh, Darius Rucker song in there. The Dolphins make him cry. Well, the Cowboys make me cry. <laughs> so uh, let me let me ask you this, because – or not yes, – someone's one thing I want to say, I thought about that on Sunday. This is how shallow I am. I'm like a fucking gene pool. I thought, well, if this fucking asteroid hits on the 24th, it's going to fuck up the NFL it's on the 25th. Screw it all That's up. way to go. <laughs> Fantasy football just starting. It's going to be over before we know it. Um, how close? We're going to me and Michelle are going to Sodus Point, New York. How far is that in your backyard from where you live at? So I actually lived in Sodus Point for a couple of years. Uh, my my mom lived there for up until just a couple of years ago. Now, where I'm from now, where I live now, well, where at home is now, is about an hour and a half, two hours north of that, like up along, if I the lake shore, Lake Ontario, the eastern shore of it up to the St. Lawrence River, that's where I live now. But uh, one of our guides, Matt Williams, actually runs his charter boat out of Sotus Point. Um, Sotus Point's great. You know, you're going to be there in October, so it's not the busy, busy season, but I mean, there's a ton of apple orchards around there. The vineyards will still be rolling. Um, a lot of the charter boats will be done by then, but Soda's Point in October is cool. There's a big beach and a pier, and it's almost like you feel like you're at the ocean, but there's no sharks. So, what? what tell me some must things to do for two old people that are going to look at just sightsee, eat food, and drive around and visit. That's all we're doing. We're going to spend a week up there doing nothing more than that. Okay, so you're going to want to take a drive from Sodus Point East along the lake and just take the back roads and go through the apple orchards and go apple picking. Um, I'm not picking no apples. Know. That ain't happening. Why? Okay. What am I going to do All with right. them? Squeeze them, make your own shit. I don't have time. I'm, not, I'm getting on a plane. I mean, you can. You don't have to pick more than two or three. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, okay. I'll pick two apples. Okay. Pick, pick two <laughs> apples and eat them both. Find, find some uh, fresh apple cider. Oh, I like that. Yeah. You know, have some fresh apple cider, an apple cider donut. Oh, those are good. Holy huh? shit. Now we're talking. Um, you're going to want to eat in Soda's Point at Jack's. Jack's is a bar right on the bay right down there. Do they know you there so um, I can throw your name around? It depends on who's bartending. There's a girl named Ashley that bartends there. Uh, I'll see if she's working when you're there, and if she is, I'll I'll, I'll have her. I'll, I'll buy you a drink. All right, we're we're, me and Mich- and, we're uh, starting to get famous now, so when I go places, people might know me now. So, see, that's why... And if I can yeah, name drop, yeah. if they don't know me, I can name drop. What's the guy's name that's got the charter there? I want to, I want to charge some stuff to him while I'm there. Uh, Matt Williams is his name. Okay, uh, Matt. Okay. His, 
His boat is the Wet Willie. It's parked right behind uh, Jack's when it's in the water. He just pulled it out the other day. The Wet Willie. I'm going to say I'm with the Wet Willie, and Matt told me to buy my dinner here, and I'll sign the tab. That's right. It's put it on Matt's tab. I'll do that. Yeah, no doubt. Um, there's some really good, like, small diners and just – I mean, if you can go into Rochester. You want to have chicken wings while you're there. Um, no, we're going to go to Buffalo one day, and we're going to go to Lake Placid one day. I know that for sure. So, of course, I can't think of the name of the restaurant. In Buffalo, you can look it up, the original Buffalo Chicken. The Anchor. Buffalo Chicken Wing. The Anchor Bar, that's it. You're going to want to have chicken wings at the Anchor Bar. And then when you go to Lake Placid, uh, if you want to spend some of Andy's inheritance, go to uh, the Mirror Lake Inn for dinner in Lake Placid. The Mirror Lake Inn. I will t- I will do that, and I will spend Zach's inheritance yeah, since Andy helps, okay. make, Andy helps me make money. Zach and Payne cost me money. Okay. Yep. So spend some of Zach's inheritance. And th- did you already get a, a room in Lake Placid yet? No, no, we're staying. We got a house on the re- on the uh, St. Lawrence or the Ontario, whatever. We're, we've got a waterfront house that we've got for a week, and we're just going to drive to Lake Placid. I don't. I live in West Texas, so drive mm. two three hours is not a big deal to me. We're going to drive and stay the day in Lake Placid and go look at all it. We'll get back home at ten o'clock at night. I'll give you my itinerary. We're landing in Laguardia. Yeah. We're staying in Sleepy Hollow one night and going doing that. We're going to drive from Sleepy Hollow to Sodas Point the next day and just. Then we're gonna have seven days of doing whatever the hell we want to do. So yeah, yeah. So when you're in town, just give me a shout and we can uh, we can go through your itinerary. But you're gonna really enjoy Lake Placid. I mean, that drive up through Route Three and all that through the Adirondacks in October. There's not a better drive in the maybe in the world. I don't know. It's it's beautiful that time of the year up there. The only you know, all the all the fall colors will be out. Um, you know, you'll be it'll be cool. Yeah, the only thing that I'm not getting to do on this trip that I really wish I could do is I'm not going to get the fluid stuck in me so I can't go across the border. And I would like to go see my buddy Rory White and go have dinner with him at one of his restaurants. That's the only thing that yep. I'm regretting about the whole deal. But I'm gonna go, I've had so many people reach out to me that waterfowl hunt up there and invited me to come hunt, but I'm not going up there to hunt, and I do appreciate that very much. But It's really good hunting up there. And yeah, it is. I just yeah. But I want to go just look. That's all we like to do. I, I think you had my buddy Corey Alkerton on your Yeah, Corey's podcast. a good guy. Yep, Corey lives right there just across the border from – you're going to drive – well, when you go to Lake Placid, you're not going to be too far away from where – well, be a little bit south, cutting through the Adirondacks. But Corey's right there, and uh, my buddy Nick up at Basswood Lodge up in Canton, you can you know, swing in and see them. Um, Nick's a great dude. He uh, He's my partner in my turkey hunting business, um, and he's – Nick's world class. Um, but there's just tons of places, and if you're looking to just drive around and eat food – you're not going to be disappointed. That's that's. Make sure what, you eat some. Make sure you eat some Italian food while you're there because there's probably not very many Italians in West Texas. Jeff's. Italian. Well, I'm Italian. Jeff. Okay. Jeff is Stanfieldo. I, I grew up eating pasta. We didn't ever have a fucking potato at my house growing up. I never had mashed <laughs> potatoes as I was a kid. I'm not bullshitting you. We had pasta with everything. If my mom made a snack of popcorn at night, we had pasta with it. We always had pasta. Um, so. Go ahead, Corey. I had breakfast. I got to make some. I made uh, um, waffles for breakfast yesterday morning. Corey sent me uh, some syrup. Uh, Corey sent me syrup down. Best syrup mm-hmm. I've ever had in my life. Yep, there's there'll be plenty of that stuff. You can probably get you a, a, a refill while you're up there. I have <laughs> so, Corey resend send me some more. It was excellent. So here's my dumb. If, if, here's my dumb question: Is there any when they wrote Sleepy Hollow? 
Like, is that is that legend? Was that a legend of the times in that area about the headless horseman? That was you... that was at Sleepy Hollow. That's not up in northern New York. That's right outside of New York City. I know you said you're yeah. That in Sleepy sounds Hollow. Catskills. And I don't know. I don't know enough about that stuff. I don't really. I mean, I was afraid of the dark till I was 26, so I kind of <laughs> don't really do scary movies all that much. Like I still am. <laughs> but yeah, I I don't. You'll have to. I mean, there's so much stuff to look at. I mean, when you go to Sleepy Hollow. I'm trying to think of where you go from there. There's a good battlefield in Saratoga. You could maybe go up to um, on your way up north, but that's kind of a little bit out of your way east. The Baseball Hall of Fame is in Cooperstown. Um, that's open in October. Uh, great places to eat there. There's the Omegang Brewery there in Cooperstown. You probably make that on your way to Soda's Point. Um, lots of stuff to do there. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I love upstate New York. I love that whole in the Northeast. Could you imagine like shooting a bunch of honkers that are just like you got the the fall foliage behind you, and then like just these great big old pumpkin carrying honkers are landing at your feet, and you just mow into them. Uh, it's it's beautiful up there. <laughs> How about right. that, Jeff? The next the next week is going to be the guys there that get to hunt till the twenty fifth in September. From right now until then is about. I mean, it's world class honker hunting. I mean, you can shoot fifteen a person. They get those molt migrators coming back out of Canada. It's just, it's incredible. Fifteen a day. That's a lot of. That's a lot of goose meat. There is not a better time yeah. of the year than September through the end of January. I'm telling you, oh. that's the best time well, of the year. I'm kind of partial to the spring. You like turkey um, hunting? You're a turkey hunting guy. I'm, I'm a turkey hunting guy. I'm one of those guys that if you had to put a gun to my head, you know, you, you can hunt one thing for the rest of your life. And people might think I'm crazy. I mean, I work at the best place in the world to shoot a mallard duck, but a tom turkey to me is probably – I haven't elk hunted yet, um, but a tom turkey is probably number one for me. So I'm pretty partial to the spring. You know, everything's greening back up. Turkeys are gobbling. You know, it, spring's pretty good. But I hear you. Jan- September to January. As a it's, whole. It's pretty – as, as a whole, September to January is better because you got football, you got waterfowl season. I'm with you, though. I think there's a fucking ant about to get me. Um, I'm with you, though. Somebody just walked in. That I don't know who it is. Um, I don't know. Somebody just pulled up and asking directions. But anyway, a tom turkey, If, if I'm like you. If they put a gun to my head... I think it would be a turkey. Have you ever shot one in the this, like a eastern hardwood forest? No, I've only shot turkeys out here. Oh. Yeah, you're gonna have to if you're a turkey guy, find somewhere in the east, you know, anywhere from Missouri to Maine, and hunt an eastern turkey in the hardwoods. It is like I mean, I've hunted I've hunted Nebraska, Missouri, um, South Dakota, Kentucky. North Carolina, Virginia, New York, Maine, Ohio, and eastern turkeys in the hardwoods. I hunted in Florida, too, uh, but eastern turkeys in the hardwoods, any turkey guy, we will get it. You know, I I guide a lot of turkey hunts, and I'll, you know, use a blind and a strutter and that kind of stuff, you know, for, for guests that, like, you know, you only got a couple days, you want to shoot a turkey, that's the best way to do it. For me, if I'm the one behind the gun, give me a open hardwoods with a 410, no decoy, and that's... That's where I want to be. That's it, huh? Four ten. Also, yep. you're you're putting yeah, them close. You know, I, the four ten thing got real trendy a couple of years ago. It and did. I, I don't do it to be trendy. I do it because 
I like to not know that I'm carrying a shotgun and I'm getting old enough now where I don't like the recoil of a three and a half inch 12 gauge. Mm -hmm. And you put, you know, TSS in a 410 inside. I mean, the last, the second, my second New York Turkey last year was like 36 steps and it just dusted him. Um, you know, inside of 40 yards, if if you're outside of 40, as far as I'm concerned, you haven't fooled him. Um, if I'm not using a 410, I'm using a bow and arrow and the bow and arrow, I'll shoot him at five yards in the head. Um, now that I will use a blind for, but I mean, I might catch some hate for saying, you know, the 12 gauge TSS loads, you know, shooting a turkey at 70 yards. I mean, at that point, you're just killing turkeys. Right. Yeah. You, you uh, missed the mark. You missed what turkey hunting is all about. If you're shooting them at 65 or 70 yards, you've, uh, right. you, you've missed the and, boat. You, and you're only punishing yourself because you don't get that you know, up close and personal 20 yard when they gobble, you can feel it. Yeah. Spitting drum, you know, that whole thing, you know, that's, you're just, you're, you're selling yourself short shooting, shooting when they're at 70. Yeah, sure. You can kill them at 70, but it's just killing turkeys. It's not, it's not hunting turkeys. Well, and I like that as, as, as sick and twisted as this might sound, I like that feeling of, um, defeat. I, I like going through that. Because in my mind, the payoff when it finally does work out and I shoot them at 15, me mm-hmm. getting my ass kicked and having to feel that that guttural, like that motherfucker was at 50 yards and I needed 20 more out of them or, or whatever that is, I need that to make the highs even higher. Like, sure, I could shoot it at 75 yards. I got Boss Tom. I got Boss Tom coming out of my ass. Like, it'll reach wherever I yeah. want it to go. Yeah, but, that's right. But I need that loss and I need that feeling. So that when it all does work out, it is a high that's so much higher than what it is shooting it at 75. I think you said it best, though. You can hunt something or you can kill something. And that is a, right. exa- that, that is a mature statement, and that's that that's what more hunters need to do. You need to be hunting and not just killing. I mean, that's... We had some teal clients the other day that were turkey hunters, and, you know, teal, teal season gets a little slow sometimes. We're just talking, you know, get talking about turkey hunting and talking about youth turkey hunting and it's like i've taken several kids and you know you go it's early in the spring up in the northeast our youth always a week before regular season it's be it missouri new york wherever and it's almost too easy that time of the year on youth season but you know you set a blind you set a strutter if you're where a turkey's going to see it he's coming because it's peak breeding it's just i don't know how many kids i've taken and the hunt lasts 20 minutes in the shooting light and yeah. a turkey's dead and it's their first time ever going. And sometimes I feel like that's a disservice to the kids. Like I had a kid two years ago in New York that he missed one to start off with. And then we went and run and gun and killed one without a blind and he earned it. Now that was his second turkey. He killed one the year before with us. And I asked him afterwards, I was like, now that was cool. That was better than shooting him. He's like, man, he's like, I was so hard. And he was 14 at the time. So he's a little bit more mature than a 12 year old. He's like, I was so upset that I missed that first one, but then the feeling of shooting the second one was mm-hmm. even better. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I find myself kind of struggling like with youth kids, like I love taking kids. I love taking kids and I love taking women turkey hunting because they, they listen to what I say. <laughs> you know, if I'm taking a grown man turkey hunting, especially somebody who turkey hunts, yeah, it's like they got their way of doing it. I got my way of doing it. And you know, call me stubborn, but my way is pretty good. You know, I'm, <laughs> I watched a lot of turkeys die over the last several years and a kid or a woman, you know, you do, you say, okay, this is what we're going to do. They do it. 
but you know, taking these kids, instant gratification in a kid's world now, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like they want something, it's at their fingertips. The internet, boom, Amazon, boom, Amazon Prime, next day, Prime, boom, it's right there. And turkey hunting, you take a kid turkey hunting, you season, you set up a strutter and a blind, boom, you kill a turkey. I don't see what's so hard about this, you know, and then they lose interest in it. Mm-hmm. So I almost feel like, it's like a double-edged sword there. You know, you get youth weekend. I don't have time to take a bunch of kids because I'm taking clients or, you know, I got a, I got a buddy who survived cancer every year, opening day, May 1st. I don't care where I am in the world. I will be in New York with my buddy, Nate, turkey hunting with Nate, opening day of turkey season every year. Um, he beat lymphoma a couple years ago. We killed a turkey and he, I mean, he was going through chemo, all that stuff. And it was just, that's, that's just turkey hunting, right? It's emotional. It's, it's fun. It's, I mean, you guys, this isn't a turkey hunting podcast, but, if you're a turkey hunter, you get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, but, if, if you're an outdoorsman, you get it. You don't have to just be a turkey yeah, hunter. Like, yeah. If, if you're but, just you know, somebody, for me, turkey hunting is, is where it's at. Yeah. I mean, on a good day, you're only going to get a couple cracks at it. You know, right. like you might in that, that day, you might only get one crack at a bird. Whereas waterfowl hunting, you know, if you're, if you're in a, a relatively decent spot, you're going to get, action all day long for three hours yeah, you yeah, know absolutely. and you can make absolutely. it you can make adjustments mid-morning uh to trick the next flock like if you're turkey hunting and you and you shit the bed maybe tomorrow it might be next week yeah. it might not be yeah. again this yeah. season like it might be next year i think mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. absolutely I, I think the thing with people that hunt it's the anticipation of getting to pull the trigger is what makes hunting so good that 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 flock of ducks on that last swing, knowing this mm-hmm. might be it, and sometimes you lose them. That anticipation of seeing those geese, you know, set those wings and cup up and start doing the whiffling or the waffling or the maple leaf and whatever you want to call it, your turkey guys, mm-hmm. right when they're in that last ten yards, you need them to go. That's what makes hunting so good. Fishing, you don't get to see the anticipation before the bite; it's just right. the bite. Hunting, right. you get that anticipation. Of, of, of watching it come with your deer hunting and they've got to come in another 50 yards. They got to come out of the trees, whatever it is. That's what hunters get that people that do not hunt, do not understand. It's not the actual pulling the trigger. That's so great. Mm-hmm. It's what happens before that triggers pulled those minute, those 30 seconds, those 15 seconds before that. I don't even know how to explain it on, to, on any other level because there's nothing else in the world like it that I've experienced, you know, I've said it a million times. If you could bottle it up and sell it, you'd be rich. Yes. That, and I don't know if it's just adrenaline or if it's just a severe endorphin release in your brain or what it is. But like you said, that last hook on a bunch of mallards or when a bunch of snow geese are just absolutely eating it up and you know, their feet are down, they're coming. You're about to wreck a bunch of snow geese or, you know, a big buck, you've got to full draw and he needs to take one more step and he's done. You know, that Tom Turkey tucks his fan, his head's light bulb white. And here he comes running, (laughs) You know, you know, I fooled you. I win. Now it's whether or not I can either make a shot or not, or, you know, if I decide not, you know, whatever. I won the game, that, that feeling. And then, like, for me, turkey hunting, the the rush of it, you know, I, it doesn't get old. Um, the only thing that's given me a bigger rush is shooting a 170-inch deer. I've done that twice. and But it just doesn't happen as often. You, you can't fuel that. You know, with turkeys, you can get the rush more often than you can with deer. 
And, you know, like ducks and geese, like you said, it's a lot more action packed. I still get fired up on a bunch of mallet. You know, you put 20 mallards in the hole and the guys come out and kill eight of them, you know, or whatever. It's still high five in, you know, let out a Ric Flair woo, you know, like, <laughs> and I don't know how many thousands of times I've seen it over an eight year guiding career, you know, plus of, I think this will be, this will be my 31st year duck hunt or no 32nd year since I killed my first duck. Uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't get old, but that whole, that feeling, if you could bottle it up, like you said, turkeys, deer, ducks, geese, I can't imagine a bull elk screaming in your face at 10,000 feet in the Rocky mountains. I mean, that's gotta be incredible. Uh, you know, but you know, in Africa and it, just an elephant or something, you know, hunting something crazy like that, like that's gotta be just a rush that you can't, you can't, you can't duplicate any other way. Maybe jumping out of an airplane, but even that, I ain't doing that shit. I'd remember that. I'm out on that. <laughs> these are feathers. Not these are feathers. These are not feathers. These are fingers, not yeah. feathers. Right. I, we don't fly. People that don't hunt don't get it though. It's like when I was a kid, I was 13 years old and me and my dad and my brother went to Lake Arrowhead to hunt in Wichita Falls. And when it rains and the lake's completely full, there's a big, there's a big flat at Shoshone park, a park south of town. But anyways, we hunted at my dad had a Lone Star V8 V hall boat. And it had three swivel chairs on it, bash chairs that we hunted out of. And we had a, he had a, uh, a blind. It was basically, we hunted out of a frame that he had built with, uh, or PVC pipe. And we had back then you could only buy either. You could buy burlap or you could buy some retro camo shit. That's coming in popular on all the clothes. Now was what we had to hide under. And we had a frame built on it. And we had a blind and we would put out two dozen floater Canada geese and we put out about four dozen duck decoys, and we hunted all the time. And to this day, I remember one day we had a Widgeon Drake hovering over the decoys. Widgeon Drake, and I had this old Model 1100, and I shot that duck, and I was 13 years old. I remember everything about that hunt. I remember that duck, my dad there. We'd listen to the cowboy game on the radio. My dad had a black butt lunch box, and we would eat lunch every day, and we'd have sandwiches and hard-boiled eggs and water or buy a big bottle of Coke. I remember that. I can't tell you about a birthday party I had as a kid growing up. Not one. I had them. I don't remember any of that shit. But I can remember days hunting with my dad and my brother growing up. And that's the shit hunters, not shit, that's the stuff that hunters have in their life that people that don't hunt or fish in the outdoors, they're robbing themselves of making those memories. Because it, it, Tell me another event that happened in your life when you were that age that you can vividly describe. I mean, your first duck, your first deer, your first turkey, your first goose. I mean, your tell first me boobs. Your, your first like you said, you know, boobs. Yeah, first yeah. set of boobs, but I that's it. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. <laughs> I haven't seen a pair yet, but you know, I mean, I, I don't remember, but <laughs> I do. She was a neighborhood skank. <laughs> happy to have it. <laughs> but I, yes. happy to see I them. couldn't I couldn't tell you that, but I can tell you the every vivid detail of my first duck and I was 7 years old. Yeah. I remember my first I, I, mean, I was shooting a single shot 410 past shooting mallards coming into a beaver pond in the afternoon. I kept shooting at ducks and I, they'd flare and I'd miss. And I'd tell my dad, I hit that one. I hit that one. You didn't hit that one. You didn't hit that one. This old Susie Mallard was 10 yards above us. And I shot and folded her. And I looked at my dad and said, are you going to tell me I didn't hit that one? <laughs> and I, I held on to that duck for like, you know, I come from a broken home. So I had to, we had to do the, uh, the, the hostage exchange on Sundays. You know, I'd go up to hunt with, with my dad on Friday night and come back on Sunday. And I held on to that duck until, my, my, we met my mom at the gas station parking lot to, you know, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna take the duck and clean it for you. But like, you know, I held on to it for 
four hours after I shot it, mm-hmm. you know, seven years old, but I can, I can't tell you anything else that happened when I was seven. That, that That's exactly barely when I was 16. Yep. That's right. I cared. I killed my first goose exactly seven miles south of where I sleep every night. If you'd have yeah. told me when I shot that first goose at Lake Winchester that I was going to be living and spend the rest of my life seven miles here running a hunting operation out here, I'd have thought mm-hmm. I hit the freaking lottery. But but yes, you remember right. you remember those things. And people that don't hunt remember. I've never shot a turkey. Andy took me turkey hunting one time. It was the most miserable experience of my life hunting ever because he wouldn't let me shoot. It was a bunch of jakes. We I didn't care. Up, we called up a bunch of jakes in the first five minutes. It's just this row... This rogue band of jakes. It's later in the year, and they're there to do nothing but spoil your hunt and chase, I, chase I toms away. Punks. Yes, and they're sitting there, and I'm like, "No, we're not. We're not doing that, Jeff." I didn't understand why. He tells me to come hunting. His mother tells me, "Jeff, it'd mean a lot to Andy if you'd go with him to shoot a turkey." I said, "Okay, I'll go with him then." NASCAR was on. I'm not even really a NASCAR fan, so I left a race to go watch, to go with Andy to turkey hunt, and he makes me sit in a snake, rattlesnake-infested mesquite patch. Saw no rattlesnakes. And we're there a few minutes, and that's what I was expecting. I thought it was going to be like duck and goose hunting. You sit down there, about the time first light comes up, we sit there, and Andy goes, here they come, here they come. I'm looking. First light, we went hunting in the evening. No, I know, but I I thought it was going to be like first light, you know, in the duck hunt. As soon as the light pops up, there's ducks there. Well, shit, we sit there five minutes, and here comes these turkeys. I thought, hell yeah. Jakes. Turkeys. (laughs) Jakes. 18-inch gobblers, 18-inch beards on them, 4-inch spurs on them. They barely, they didn't even make the turn to like There was 18 of them with 1-inch beards. Yes. Yeah, we'd have had to shoot all of them to get a full beard and and a full fan. And so I'm thinking, he's going to let me shoot. So I'm ready to shoot, ready to shoot, ready to shoot, ready to shoot. And they they go off, and Andy's like, what would you think? I thought you didn't let me fucking shoot. What do you expect? We sat there about 30 more minutes, and I was like, "Uh, we can go ahead and go home. You don't have to worry about me out here. The springtime is for chasing tornadoes, not turkeys for me. I was gonna say, Jeff, you come to New York, you can. I'll let you shoot a Jake. Be fine. You can come catch a come catch a walleye and shoot a Jake, and you'll have a great time. I'd love to catch a walleye. I would probably enjoy turkey hunting because it's a it's it's like I went I went teal hunting Saturday with Andy, and I had a great time. It was absolutely wonderful. I hadn't done it in a long time, and I had a great great time. And I miss that. I really have. I really enjoyed that. I'm gonna make myself go some more, but it has to be the right time for me to do it when I don't have nothing else going on here. I mean, it's just like right now we've got 30 dove hunters coming in. They just, some just showed up just a second ago. I'm going to be busy until 11 o'clock tonight. And that's waterfowl seasons that way every day. And I just don't have time, but I need to start making myself time. But I would have enjoyed, I enjoyed it because it was me and Andy and some guys. And Andy almost let me call the shot two times. (laughs) How has your teal season been down there? Uh, Above average. Yeah. Nothing great. It hadn't been like a world. It, not definitely not a, the best that we've ever had, but last weekend, the place that we hunted had more teal on it than I'd probably ever seen since we've had it. So uh, Saturday was really, and, really and good. Did, and then uh, did Jeff tell you about the thing I was telling him about on the internet, uh, the migration radar or the bird radar? No. I still don't know how to read that damn thing. I think I've seen it. Is it like where so, it's different colors and like the if it's like bright, bright white, that's a heavy migration? Yep. Yeah, so you can go on there. If you mess around with it, you can. So it's through the Cornell Ornithology Lab. So that's pretty legit. Like that's the best bird science in the world. And you there's a you can type in your county, right? Okay. And I went on there in Sheridan County, Missouri, which is where our our, you know, with the home lodges in Sumner. Last Saturday or Sunday, they said four and a half million birds migrated through Sheridan County overnight. Wow. Thursday night. 
Thursday night, it was 1700. Really? Like, and last weekend, the teal hunt was great, you know, right, right through the week, getting into this warm weather, you know, the migration's down, the, you know, the bird radar's down, teal hunt starts to slow down. Now, last night, they said there was over 400,000 birds, and I think they had a, a slow hunt, but I mean, that's just birds. It could have been 400,000 blackbirds. Sure. Um, but that, when it said it was up, you know, four and a half million, and there's even like a prediction on there, like you can mess around with it and find like, they're, they were predicting a big migration last night. Now, I don't know if it's based on wind direction, temperature, or whatever, but they were predicting a big migration last night, and it was pretty good. Um, but like I said, I don't know how the teal – I think the teal were pretty slow this morning, but also it was, like I said, 74 degrees at you yeah. know, sunrise this morning. Um, well, you've got guys up in Canada, but I was talking to Corey Nickham, and he said that they're, wherever he is in Canada – I don't know where he hunts at, but wherever he is in Canada, they are loaded – with blue wing teal. Oh yeah. So, oh yeah, absolutely. But There's, nothing there had I'm afraid in 2019 our teal season was so 16 days, it was over 90 degrees 11 of those 16 days. And just after teal season, when we're brushing blinds, there is teal everywhere. Every yeah. one of our holes had teal on it. I'm kind of sure that's what's going to happen this year and you know, there was a later hatch mm-hmm. on a lot of teal. Um they had a later nesting effort, so you know, I was hearing reports of fuzzball mallards and teal in August, you know, and those ducks aren't going to be ready to fly till late October. Right. You know, so I don't have, you know, I, I won't be surprised at all if we're shooting blue wings or not shoot, well, seeing blue wings and maybe even shoot some right around our, nor- our North zone opener the 28th of October, 27th, whenever it is this year. Um, but you guys will probably be covered up with blue wings here in three weeks. And so will we probably so probably so, but, yeah. um, so how many weekends have we? That was this weekend was the second, second week. We've this done is the it. last weekend. So, and then the week before that, we we had a group and we did good both days. Saturday and Sunday were both yeah. were both good. So we don't we only do teal hunts on we we only do dove hunts on the weekend. So that's when we do teal hunts also. So we don't go seven you. days a week at teal hunting. Now this this week would be a bit of an exception because we have hunters during the week here. So and the guys dove hunting this weekend don't teal hunt. Oh, they don't? No, we have no teal hunters on the weekend. Oh, so we could go out. Yes. Okay. Well, good. That'll be good. If, it, so if there's remember anything how I was here. telling you about that woolly bear thing when we first got on this phone call? Yeah, there it is. It's black as, blacker than an ace of spades. Yep. Okay, Arliss. I'm there gonna... he is right there. Normally, they would be orange in the middle. Now, so we're going to have a rough winter, I guess. Well, they told us that whenever the mesquite beans are long, it's yes. going to be a cold uh-huh. winter. And our mesquite beans are long, longer than my dong. Well, I didn't want to talk about your dong. So, Arliss, let me ask you a question, bud. Me and you both had fat surgery, yes, and we both went to Mexico. I mm-hmm. say it's the best thing I've ever done in my life in the last 20 mm-hmm. years. How, how do you mm-hmm. feel? You feel a lot better? You look good? Yesterday, I hung a tree stand with ladder, or with climbing, or with ladder sticks and a hang-on stand, and I just said, we got done, I was like, I would have never been able to do that a year ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have had one of the other guys hang it and I might've been able to climb up in it after it was hung, but it's changed my life. I mean, I can, I can run a mile without stopping. You know, I can probably run two miles without stopping. I, since teal season started, I haven't, I haven't been exercising like I was, but you know, I'm wearing size 34 pants. Holy shit. Um, I had to sell all my, 
all my hunting gear, give a bunch of it away, buy all new stuff. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's crazy. This tractor that I'm sitting on this, my, my belly was hitting on this thing last year. <laughs> you know, it was uncomfortable to drive this tractor and now, you know, like I just hop down off here, hop back up on it and little things like that. I don't even notice sometimes, but it's like, wow, that was a whole lot different than it used to be. My two favorite um, things is riding on a fucking airplane without having to have a fat boy laugh. Oh my God. And you put the you can put the the the, the trade table yes. down. Yeah, hell yeah! I used to never put it down because it was resting on my titties. Now it's some bitch goes all the way <laughs> down. It's great. And going into a booth at a restaurant, I used to have to size up a booth yep. when they'd say you want a booth. It's like, well, if I can move yeah, the you table want a booth, around, booth or a table, I'll take a table. Now, yeah, sure, I'll take. I'll even sit on the inside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, that's me. I'm a. Booth. I like sitting. I like sitting in the back seat of a car. I don't like riding like, with nobody. You know, so that's sitting in like, the back seat of my pickup going to Squad Fest. It wasn't bad. Y'all sit in the back. I did do that, and it wasn't bad. But it is crazy how it changed our lives, and I tell people all the time. I have people all the time, oh, I can lose it on my own. Dude, if you're over 100 pounds, you ain't going to lose it by your own unless you really, really have some no. serious, serious willpower. And if you had serious willpower, you wouldn't be fat like you are. And, I, and I'm not fat shaming anybody. I, I've been that battle. You're no. fat shaming. Uh, it's... But, I still don't fat shame anybody, but you know, it's like, I see people and I'm like, God, I wish I could just go up to them and be like, man, your life would be so much easier if you went and did this. I do but that. At the same time, you can't force somebody. I mean, it's just like anything, like any kind of other addiction, right? Being overweight is, is an addiction problem. It's a food addiction. It's a whatever you granted there's metabolisms and all that kind of stuff that get involved. But for the most part, you're overweight because of you, mm -hmm. it's not anybody else's fault. You know, you can blame whoever you want, blame your mama, blame whoever, but it's your fault. And if you can't, you know, have the willpower to stop eating, exercise, all that stuff, then you're never going to lose weight. And for me, I couldn't do it. You know, I would try different diets, this and that. And granted, you know, being around all this good food that we're around all the time and all that stuff, you know, it's, I have to be careful now, you know, because when we talked last year, I hadn't eaten sugar. I hadn't had you know, a lot of things. And now my sweet tooth is back. So I'm very cautious about that. Um, I still haven't had alcohol. I still don't drink soda. I haven't had a carbonated beverage since August 18th of last year. I had a Dr. Pepper was the last soda that I had. And I was a daily soda drinker. I mean, every day I would drink diet Pepsi and, you know, I haven't had any alcohol. Um, and I've, I've lost about 155 pounds. Um, Jeez. you know, it's, I'm still not down to where I'd like to lose another, 20, 25, 30 pounds to get down to where I really want to be. Um, but you know, as far as just life in general, I still, I have that dimorphism there where you look at yourself and you still see the same person. Mm -hmm. But then I see a photo of it and it's like, holy shit, like uh, the old me, I see a picture of the old me and it's like, God damn, I can't believe I let myself get to be like that. Right. Yeah, I'm, you get there one pound at a time though. Like it's not. No bullshit. That's what jumps on you. No, I don't. Think. You, you, it's it's one little. It's one. It's it's gradual. That's why people don't see it. Yeah, I'll, I've lost. Yep. I'm down a hundred. I'm down a hundred and four, and I've 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 been I've, I've I lost two pounds in the last two months. And I don't I don't eat good at all. Now I do eat more salads and stuff. And Jesse's the biggest one about staying on me about stuff. And I've tried to cut my sweet tea down. I'm drinking water all the time now. But I'm happy with where I'm at. If I don't ever lose another pound and I stayed right here, I'd be happy. I'd like to lose 30 more pounds is what I'd like to do. But I'm happy. I don't drink sodas and stuff anymore. But the mm -hmm. thing that the, the I am that guy that you said you can't be. I've done that. Michelle gets on to me. I'll see some fat fucker somewhere. I'll be like, listen, bud, 
I was you a year and a half ago. You can lose some weight. Can I talk to you for a minute? Just a second. And she gets on to me for that. We had a guy in town that needs to lose some weight. And I told him, I said, listen, bud, I'm not being rude. I'm telling you as a friend, if you'll go down and because he can afford to go. And I don't want everyone to tell someone that can't afford it. He can afford it. I said, if you go to Mexico where I went and had surgery, I said, it's going to cost you $5,000. I said, you're going to lose 60, 70 pounds in a year guaranteed, and you'll feel so much better about everything in life. And I said, you're going to live a lot longer. Now, he might get hit by a train tomorrow. I mean, I don't know, but I told him that. Well, Michelle's like, you can't do that to people. Yeah, you can, because if someone would have told me, it wouldn't have hurt my feelings. Well, Jeff, you told me. Yeah. You know, I called, granted, I called you. And, you know, t- we had never spoke. We had mutual friends. Um, Matt Merlick, one of the owners of Habitat Flats, you know, he listens to the podcast and he'd heard you talking about it. And he's like, man, I think, I think you should reach out to Jeff. And I talked to Logan about it. He's like, yeah, you know, I got your your number from Logan Pyatt. And, you know, after we had that conversation, I was just like, screw it. I called Pompeii like that day, scheduled my surgery for three weeks later. And three weeks later, I'm in Tijuana, Mexico, having weight loss surgery. <laughs> it's the greatest thing it ever. It was like... And literally, so I had my surgery like it was like August twenty third or twenty second or something like that of last year, and I was like hoping, ah, hope I'll lose fifty or sixty pounds before duck season starts in November. I had lost like seventy three pounds when duck season started. You know, I lost one hundred and thirty pounds by the time snow goose season rolled around. And you know, like I said, I've lost one hundred and fifty, one hundred fifty five pounds since that. You know, total, and I've really hit a plateau recently. But you know, I'm I think I was two forty five the last time I stepped on a scale. I was 400 pounds when I went and had the surgery. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's like I was one stuck in the mud away from having a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's know? exactly I mean, I don't right. Know how I managed to guide duck hunts and snow goose hunts, you know, a hundred days out of the year. It just, I don't know how I did it, but well, well, I, I'm now pr- it's like the turf. I'm, I'm proud for you. Go ahead. And I noticed when we got, when, when me and Michelle got to San Diego and we got to the airplane, the airport, and they said this, this uh, suburban's going to pick us up. And this suburban picked us up and there was three ladies and me and Michelle and they were going to have to pick somebody else up to get in the suburban. I was like, boy, they don't do very much planning. They're picking up a bunch of fat asses for fucking fat weight surgery. You're going to put seven of us fat fuckers in this suburban. There ain't no way we had that son bitch weighted down big time going to the place. <laughs> Michelle was the only person in there under 130 pounds. It's funny. You, cr- you cross into Mexico and they don't even stop you at the border. <laughs> no, like, it was going. nuts. That's what I thought too. I was they like, don't even stop. Yeah. Do we need a, do we need a passport or anything? Can you imagine taking a wrong turn, get drunk in San Diego and wake up in Tijuana <laughs> without your passport? Yeah. I think you'd be screwed. Getting the wrong Uber. Oh, <laughs> it's a bad, bad day. But in <clears throat> hunting season's tough on a diet. Like oh. y- you're tired and yeah. you just want to eat and you just want, but you're active. <clears throat> That's one good thing. But I'm telling you what, I couldn't I couldn't imagine. I could imagine, but just not being able to just gorge yourself of all the dessert because I'm sure Habitat Flats is just like it is here. Like you got desserts every oh night. It's and un- it's unreal. You know, just it the, is unreal. The amount of carbohydrates and sugar that are just readily available right there. Or you're walking by and you just grab a muffin and it's tough. It's tough because you're tired. We have, yeah. And so, like, we, every morning I try and eat something with protein for breakfast. You know, either be, you know, if we have a breakfast sandwich, I'll try and, if it's a bref- breakfast biscuit, I'll pull the top half of the biscuit off. I'll get, I do need to have some carbs. Yeah. Um, but I'll eat the egg and the sausage and cheese and the bottom part of the biscuit. Or if it's biscuits and gravy, I'll have one biscuit with gravy on it rather than two. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if it's, 
breakfast burritos. I won't eat the burrito part of the breakfast burrito, you know? Uh, and then generally I'll grab like a, a pack of crackers or something like that for when we get done with the hunt, I get in the truck and I need to eat something because my blood sugar is kind of getting low. You know, I haven't yes. had carbs in yeah. all morning. Um, eat that on the way back to the lodge. Try not to eat too many cookies. Uh, <laughs> if the girls have fresh made chocolate chip cookies, I'm pretty bad about eating those. I'll eat one or two yeah. of those. And then I'll tell them, don't let me eat any more of these. <laughs> um, but then, you know, lunchtime, if we have a burger and fries, I'll try and have, I won't have a bun. Mm-hmm. And instead of having a half a plate of fries, I'll have six or eight fries. Yeah. Uh, you know, or if we have mac and cheese instead of a whole bowl of mac and cheese, I'll have some, but not a lot. And I can kind of maintain like that. It's harder to lose the weight like that, but you know, here for the next month after teal season closes, we'll be brushing blinds and working seven days a week. And, you know, I'll shoot a couple deer, you know, we, we have to fend for ourselves at that time. So I'll shoot a couple deer. The boys and I will, you know, we'll cook for ourselves. We'll fend for ourselves. We'll eat deer meat, vegetables. Everybody kind of starts to be like, okay, we all know we're about to, be on the seafood diet you know at the lodge you see it you eat it yep so we all kind of want to be like all right we need to at least go into it halfway healthy (laughs) yeah so you know eating venison and vegetables you know and for me the one of the biggest things is not drinking alcohol anymore because i haven't had a hangover in 14 months and (laughs) how much were you drinking i mean were, were you would you drink every day no, I wasn't an everyday drinker, but I was, uh, when I drank, I would drink a lot. Yeah. You know, I would, I couldn't do the one or two cocktails. It would be a bottle of Captain Morgan Ooh. or, you know, 10 beers or, you know, just, and I would, you know, go for it. And when I went for it, and I mean, I was a big guy, 400 pounds. I could drink that much and not really, I mean, I would be drunk, but I wouldn't be like falling down. Right. Well, I got, um, I got then, tipsy one night. Whew. Now it affects you different. See, that's another thing, too. I'm a little bit worried about how it would affect me because, for one thing, it's been so long. I know they say your stomach, you know, you metabolize things differently and all that. And it's like, eh, you know, maybe I just don't need to know. Right. And I, I've got to the point now where I can go to a bar and hang out and I'll uh, I'll bring those little crystal light iced tea packets with me and dump one of those in. And then I feel like I'm sipping on a cocktail. Yeah. You know, I'll just get a ice water and I'm not spending 100 bucks. I'm not hungover. I'm not making a fool of myself. It's actually kind of nice, but I, I can get to get to the point where, uh, oh, hold on a second. I just got a phone call. You're getting a phone uh, call. Can, yeah, there we go. Am I, am I back? You were, but now you're gone again. There you go. All right. We're here. Yep. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, get to the point where I can go out and be so have a good time and not feel like I'm having to have to drink. So, but yeah, like you said, Jeff, to answer your question, absolutely. Best thing I ever did. Couldn't imagine going back we uh i got to where i would fry a bunch of bacon at night because i want i want the protein and i want the fats i kind of if i had to say that i i subscribe to a diet which i don't diet at all but if i were going to it would be the ketogenic diet so like high in fat Mm -hmm. no carbohydrates so i fry a bunch of bacon and then that's Mm -hmm. what i eat in the morning because we have biscuits and gravy out here and I'm like you. I, I I need to stay away. I try to stay from carbohydrate. I try to stay away from as many carbohydrates as I can. So yeah, I do bacon uh, for breakfast, and I'll just fry a whole shitload of it, and then put it in the refrigerator at night or in the morning when I wake up. I'll pick it up, reheat it, and it's great. And then I try to have beef jerky in my blind bag because I was real mm-hmm. bad about how ha- I would do trail mix. Well, it's got fucking M and M's in it. 
Oh, yeah. So, what about those cinnamon donuts? It, uh, the cinnamon donuts. Mrs. Baird's make cinnamon donuts down here, and they're phenomenal. I'll try to st- I'll try to just do those once a week or something. That might that might mm-hmm. be my little guilty pleasure. But. Ar- Arliss, does food taste different to you? Because bacon <laughs> and meat, the beef does not taste as good as it used to to me. No, not really. I mean, everything seems to be about the same now. I had finally did catch COVID, oh, about a month ago now, and stuff taste i lose i lost my sense of taste and stuff tasted weird for about a week but luckily i think everything's come back to normal coffee was tasting funny for a while um couldn't taste some things but i don't i guess just some things i know like bread i used to love bread bread kind of makes me feel like crap Mm -hmm. um steak if i have to eat the fatty part of the steak now yeah like you know the like you know you say you can you live on, you know, you can eat enough bacon to get you going through. I can't eat enough bacon to keep me, you know, going. So I have to have some carbs. Right. Cause um, you need the, you need the insulin and that's what carbohydrates turn to. I think it increases your yeah. blood sugar. Right. See, and I, you know, go ahead. No, I was just say meat tastes funny to me. And I don't know if it was COVID or surgery. That's why I was wondering because I had COVID Right, right about time I did after before my surgery I had it and I still was in that taste funk stuff. Then I had surgery, and then since then, nothing's tasted the same. Like soda, it ain't no big deal for me not to drink Coke anymore because it tastes like shit mm-hmm. now. Yeah, it's got a horrible taste to it, and I don't know if that's COVID or surgery. So I just it's don't COVID even because I can't drink. I used to if I was gonna have a soda, it would it was Coca Cola, and it tastes mm-hmm. it tastes god awful. From the fountain, from a bottle, from a can, I've it's heard, bad. I've heard that if you go back, if you stop drinking it and you go back to it, it's just syrupy and like just. No, tastes, mine tastes it makes like your teeth shit. Feel funny, like. My, my, I think mine's a COVID deal. Mine tastes absolutely horrible. Mm-hmm. It's not the sweet, sweet. It just has a terrible. If 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 it tastes this, I would have never drank a Coke my whole life, but tried it once. If it tastes like this fifty years ago, it's that bad. But I can drink Dr Pepper. I can't drink Coca Cola, but I can do Dr Pepper. Dr Pepper tastes normal. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've I've just completely given it up, and I'm I don't. I mean, I miss it sometimes, but for the most part, I drink Propel. Um, I try to drink as much straight water as I can. I just don't really like regular water, unfortunately. So, like, if I go to a restaurant, I'll get a, a half lemonade, half water. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the waitress usually thinks I'm crazy, but. <laughs> that's just what I drink. You know, half lemonade, half water. That's what I had this morning with breakfast. You know, I have a coffee in the morning. And then, you know, half lemonade, half water or a Propel or Gatorade Zero. Um, and that's pretty much all I drink. I don't – I used to drink a ton of milk. I don't really drink milk anymore. Um, I can't drink chocolate milk. Chocolate milk's one thing. I've only been sick twice since my surgery. And one of the times it was after drinking chocolate milk. So really? I don't even drink it anymore. Stay away from it. Do you, do, um, do you, will yep. you eat yogurt again? I'll never eat yogurt again the rest of my fucking life. I actually still I, – I go hard on Greek yogurt. Oh. Um, <laughs> Mm, I can't stand him when I loved it. And I got back into the protein shakes again. I had to get off of them for a while and now I'm usually good for about a month and then I got to take about a month off and get back on them for a month. And it, so I'm right here. As soon as teal season's over, I'll get back in the protein shake game for breakfast. Um, yeah, I started making almost more like smoothies than protein. Shake. It's still with protein, but you know, I'm more, instead of the chocolate ones, I'm on the fruit ones now. Um, but it's, that just helps a lot too. You know, it, a protein bar and protein shake in the morning gives you 50, 50 uh, grams of protein in the morning. You're hungry. You're not hungry till early afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that 
you know, low in, low in carbs, low, you know, with the fruit smoothies, you got some carbs, you got some sugar in there. Um, if you don't use that and just use like the protein powder and milk or yogurt, you're almost carb free. And it's, uh, that's a good way to go. It's crazy how much sugar is in soda. Like I saw a graph oh one time that, oh. you know, if you drink two Dr. Peppers a day, like you're drinking a bag of just fucking sugar basically is yeah, all that you're absolutely. doing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And people don't, Coca-Cola people, bad. there's so much sugar in Coca-Cola. Yeah. People and people don't realize that, I guess because it's a drink and they're like, ah, you know, it tastes great. But like if, but it was, it was like three Dr. Peppers is like this much sugar and you're just, you're well, giving the that same to way. your body. Yeah. You know, like Bushlight, I think Bushlight has like 160 calories or something like that mm-hmm. in one. Mm-hmm. You know, and got you drink 10 of those, that's 1,600 calories. That's more than half your caloric intake for the day. Yeah. Well, your body's just got to figure out what to do with it. How are we going to convert this to right. energy so it just stores it as fat? Yeah. If anybody right. out there is listening, uh, Jeff would love some cherry sour beers. I can't find any anywhere. I had some of them upstate. I had them in uh, Vermont last year. Best beer I've ever had in my entire life. And the people only make it seasonal. I called them the other day, and they didn't make any this year. Do you? I love that stuff. Have huh. you Have you tried Liquid IV? I think it might have a lot of sugar in it, so don't quote me on that. Yeah, but it's I put almost it, too I, like too sweet, too thick, or too syrupy, or something. See, I'll do. It's um, like the uh, more water than what it calls for. So if yeah, it calls for sixteen ounces, I'll do like twenty four or thirty. Regular Gatorade, I have to water down. You do. So like regular Gatorade, I'll put it on ice. Because okay. there's a ton of sugar in regular Gatorade. Yes. Um, so if I drink that, I have to water it down. Huh. And like orange juice, I, I mean, it's like I'll fill a cup three quarters away with water and ice and put a shot of orange juice in there. Right. And that's it for orange juice for me. That's I can't enough. do straight orange juice anymore. That's how I drink it also. Just t- flavored yeah. water, basically, with a little pulp in it. Exactly. Yeah. I like Topo Chico also. Uh, I miss those carbon, but y'all can't do carbonated, can you? Nope. There's there's some people who do, but I think that's the the road back to gaining your weight back is when you start drinking carbonation, drinking alcohol, drinking you know, eating sugar. And like I said, I've I've eaten more sugar than I probably should have. Yeah. Um. So I I'm back to the point where it's like okay, I gotta if I stop doing all this stuff before, I can stop doing it again. So I've got myself kind of brainwashed into knowing that I can do it again. And I'm, that's just what I have to do. Um, just not drink the crap that I was, you know, and eating the crap that I was eating before. So, um, did you guys see the DU hatch numbers and all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. We talked to, uh, David Schusler about him, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Blue and Taylor way up. Yeah. Blue and Taylor way up. Now, if you look at the, the, those numbers were basic versus 2019, the mm-hmm. ones that, you know, all went out. And I mean, I think we're in for like a very, very good fall. Um, the last two years, you know, with the bad hatch, I think part of the, you know, everybody's question is like, you know, well, how come ducks are nocturnal? Well, I think that's those older adult ducks. They're just like older adult snow geese. You know, they're smarter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, they don't stick together in bunches near as well. Um, I think, you know, this year we are in for a very, very good fall flight. I hope that you're uh, right. So let me ask you this, because we've talked about this quite a bit, and you're the reason that Southern Louisiana doesn't have ducks anymore. So you know, like I might as well ask the guy. Um, do you yep. know? Do you notice that mallards uh, switch 
nocturnal uh, when there's an abundance of flooded corn around? Man, I've heard this, you know, several times, and I don't know that that's the case based on the flooded corn. To me, the nocturnal is weather and pressure, but Mm -hmm. mostly weather. So, like, the St. Charles, Missouri area, right? There's a bunch of flooded corn down there. That's where, you know, just just west of St. Louis. That is, like, the home of flooded corn. Mm -hmm. There's so many duck clubs, every flooded corn piece is getting hunted every day that it's a pressure thing. I don't think the, I think if you didn't hunt that flooded corn, those ducks would be in there during the day. Right. You know, like I know some guys that hunt flooded corn up in Northwest Missouri, they won't hunt other than 10 to two. They won't run the ducks out in the dark. They don't, they let them leave on their own, you know, and they'll only 10 to two. I would love to be able to do that, but you know, I get it with, with guests yeah, oh, sorry. The with the guests and all that, you know, you really can't. You know, guys want to be in the they they want the duck hunting experience, right? Now, like I said, when it's cold, we won't hunt until ten o'clock in the morning. But average day, see, we hunt right next to Grand Pass. Grand Pass hunts half an hour before sunrise to one p.m. At one p.m., the ducks know the guys are out there. They start flying around. Right. I would love to be able to take advantage of that, but I don't think. You know, of course, I have. You know, people are all oh, well. He has to say that. I mean, for us, when it's not, when the ducks get going nocturnal, we leave them alone in the corn. We'll leave them alone for a week in the corn, hunt our moist soil, hunt our timber holes, hunt a dry field, and they come back to mm-hmm. day to daytime stuff. You know, you're not running them out in the dark. You're not staying until dark. Very rarely will we hunt our corn after three o'clock in the afternoon. Sometimes after after one p.m., we're done. We don't hunt the corn. Um, now this year at the Grand. We actually made some changes. Um, We are only taking 12 guests at a time now. So our guests will have, you know, they each have their own bathroom in their room. Um, The pressure will be cut in half. It should be very, 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 very good for, you know, the duck hunting here should be phenomenal. Our stuff looks great. Our corn looks great. Grand Pass's corn looks great. Um, Our moist soil is phenomenal. Great hatch. It's just panning out to be, you know, we've, this is our fourth season at the Grand um, we've been the first couple of years, you know, you're spinning the dial, right? Trying to build it up, get the infrastructure done, figure out where stuff needs to go. Now going into season four, we're fine tuning the dial, right? So like I, this past spring, I did a little bit of dirt work. We moved some pits, moved some blinds, get them to where, you know, the ducks seem to like these places a little better. The water's a little better here. Um, you know, we drilled some more wells, just constantly improving because, that's one thing about, you know, Habitat Flats and Tony and all that is we are never satisfied, right? We're never like, well, we're good, kick back, heal, you know, dust our hands off and call it good. Yeah. There's always something you can do to make it better. And, you know, the idea that we are stopping migrations with flooded corn <laughs> is <laughs> asinine. It's all your fault. I mean, it's all your I, fault. You I single-handedly know, changed Sorry. it. You did it. I know. I, I think I have like hundred acres of flooded corn for this fall. (laughs) Well, that's not true. On the south side of the river, I think I have a hundred acres of flooded corn. And if I could hold 8 million mallards in a hundred acres of flooded corn, I'd be really impressed with that. Um, I mean, I know that, I know that you're doing it. You're stopping the migration. This is all on you. uh, Yeah. You're, you're right. 8 million. You've got 8 million ducks on a hundred acres. That's impressive. You know what? 
We've been lying this whole time. We are stopping. <laughs> I know. I know you've been lying. There. I see there, that. There. I, I said it. I finally <laughs> said it. Nobody else is saying it. I said it. We're uh, stopping. All migration. Heaven, heaven yep. forbid I we ever look at the, the warm weather trend and the lack of snow and all that. Like, that's got nothing to do with it. It's all the flooded corn. No, bad hatches. That kind, no, no. I, it's, no, it's never the bad hatch. I actually have, I have a crystal ball and a genie, actually. So I got three wishes. Um, <laughs> one of my wishes was to be able to stop the migration. <laughs> and so, Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, and Jennifer Lawrence. So, like, we'll see yeah, what happens I'm here. Not telling, I'm not telling you guys what the other two wishes were, but uh, <laughs> that, that first one was to stop migration, and I got my wish. So, but, yeah, but, so, but in your um, observation, you've noticed that if, if the birds do switch nocturnal, if you take the pressure away after a week or so, mm-hmm. they get back on a normal ducky routine. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, like, we'll have, we have a split in the middle zone in Missouri. Yeah. So it's a five day split. We'll hunt for nine days. So we hunt Saturday to Sunday and then we have a Monday through Friday split by about Thursday. The ducks are back to flying in daylight. They're, you know, using our stuff. They're in there all day long. They're not just sitting on the refuge all day. Um, so then, you know, Friday, I wish, I wish we had a seven day split or even a 10 day split because but a 10 day, I think would be a bit much because I think they eat us out of house and home. We'd have to go run them out of the corn at that point. But, you know, a seven-day split, I feel like, would really get the ducks back on a daytime deal. And usually it's that time of the year where there's that early November full moon. Mm -hmm. Um, We're almost always guaranteed a warm front at that time of the year. You know, early November, almost always it bumps up in the 70s. Um, The same thing happens in December. And it's just like we talked about last time. You know, it's it's a risk assessment for ducks. They can sit there in a 60-degree sunshine day and not get shot and know they can fly out right at sun- after sunset feed all night nothing's going to mess with them and then fly back to the refuge five minutes before shooting light or whenever somebody goes in there with lamps and making noise and throwing decoys and okay well time to go back to the refuge uh or when it's cold and they have to feed they're like well <laughs> it's like that uh that movie dazed and confused where the teacher's talking about vietnam and it's like 50 of you is going out and only 25 <laughs> of you is coming back. You know, they know yeah. something, somebody's getting shot today. Hope it's not me, <laughs> but they have to feed because if they don't, they'll starve. Yeah. You know, when it gets down below 40 to 30, 40 degrees, you know, and at night it's cold and they have to feed. And, you know, I think there's something too. They don't want to leave their open water that they keep open, but only for a little bit of time, but they still have to feed in the warmest part of the day. You know, I'm sure you guys see that in Oklahoma when it gets cold, they'll come feed at three o'clock in the afternoon and not another minute before or after. Right. You know, the warmest part of the day, here they come, they're going to feed for an hour and then they're back on there before it's dark out, you know, because they have to keep that open water. Yeah. But it's interesting stuff. We haven't had, we haven't had cold weather, so. No. And I think, I think we'll, we'll put it this way. Last year, the last day of the season, it was cold. We had a good last 10, 10 days, two weeks were very cold. The refuge froze. The ducks got on the river. We were able to keep some open water with our heated ponds um, and very little open water. But what we kept open, we hunted the last day of the season with clients. We killed 100 ducks before lunchtime. Everybody in the lodge killed their limit. And the guides were finally, you know, we don't we don't shoot our ducks. We don't shoot healthy ducks um, just uh, for many reasons. Party hunting reasons. That's a whole other podcast. But, uh, you know, I'm there to call ducks clean up cripples, you know, that's it. On the last day of the season, Tony lets us go and shoot our ducks. So eight of us went and took turns. And in two hours we shot 48 ducks taking turns. 
Wow. On the last day of the season in flooded corn. So you tell me if abundance of flooded corn makes ducks nocturnal, you know, but it was cold. Right. You know, it, it was, so those ducks had had 60 days of hunting pressure on public and on private. You know, literally we were 50 yards from Grand Pass when we were doing this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were, like I said, taking turns. We had a gentleman's hunt. We shot a full limit of mallards and everybody shot their two extra ducks in two yeah. hours from like two to four. But the weather you was know, right. And you had the cold weather and you had, the weather, you had what you the needed. The cold weather, yep. Had what we needed. We had, and it, the ducks had to fly during the day and they had, so it was the last day of the season. So I think that whole flooded corn thing, I, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I think they should shut down flooded corn. It'll make the ducks fly. I think that's nonsense because for one thing, we send healthier ducks down the flyway, both directions, south and north. Right. Now we pull the water off of our corn the day, ducks season closes. The last day we go around and shut the wells off because it costs us a stupid amount of money to run all these wells on electricity or diesel or whatever we're running them on. So we go shut the wells off the last day of season. And then as long as there's no ice in the corn, I'll pull the boards the last day, just pull them all completely and dump all the water out of the fields. Now that there's ice, I have to do a slow draw down because I have, I don't, I can't knock the corn down because I have to run a combine through it or else we'll battle volunteer corn in the spring. So, and generally, you know, it warms up enough and the stalks will, you know, melt the ice around the, um, around the stalk and I can slowly drop the water out without knocking it down. So usually by no later than four or five days after our season goes out, all of our water is gone on our corn. Now we will leave water in our moist soil units uh, for, you know, ducks to have water to when they come back through in the spring, because once again, we want to send healthy ducks to the nesting grounds, but we don't run our wells. We don't run our ice eaters. So we, that'll all freeze as long as it's cold enough. But, you know, everyone's like, oh, they keep their ducks. They imprint their ducks. They this, they that. No, we don't. We do not do that because in our eyes, we are now, as soon as duck season's over, we are looking to a farming aspect. So now we need to get it dry. We need to be able to get either the ground to freeze to get a combine through it or get it as dry as possible. So as soon as it's dried out in the spring, we can run a combine through and then start with our spring field prep. You know, we'll have to run in hydrist, all this stuff. So it's, you know, there's a lot of these rumors, oh, they do this, they do that. And it's not just us. It's all, of you know, all the flooded corn people in, in Missouri. But, you know, I think back to my point with if you outlaw flooded corn, for one thing, there's still going to be dry field corn here. And the ducks are going to stay on that as long as they can, um, because they're never going to stop farmers from planting corn. Mm-hmm. And all the moist soil stuff that's here, if it's warm enough to keep ducks on moist soil, they're still not going to migrate. Right. You know, and if you're going to hunt them, like look, Louisiana has a duck hunter on every, on every piece of water. They did it to themselves. You know, they, the price was too much. The, they lost all their rice farming to Arkansas. Most of the rice comes from Arkansas now. You know, you can ask any of the Arkansas guys, they know, you know, like a lot of those like white oaks and all that stuff, they have their own field. They have rice and all that stuff that they let their ducks go in and they don't mess with them out there. They hunt them in the timber. Right. And they know if you don't mess with them in on the food, they'll stay flying in the daylight. Now, when you, know, you, so, when you pull the water off of ahead. your corn, do you see a lot of ducks leave? It depends. Um, obviously, yes. A lot of them will leave just because they lose a food source. Mm-hmm. But like last year, we were hunting, you know, we, we go right into hunting hawkers and specs after duck season closes. We stay hunting. We'll run some guests and all that um, through February 6th. Last year, hunting hawkers and specs. 
huge flocks of mallards in the dry fields, no mojos right. coming right in. Like you could have shot a hundred mallards, no problem, yeah. but it hadn't gotten cold enough to push them south. We had no snow, you know, those ducks just stayed here. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll lose our birds on our corn, but the ag field stuff, I mean, for the most part, they stay if they can. Yeah. People, people think, you know, if, if we, oh, we got a north wind that birds ought to migrate. Like there are birds that will migrate with north winds. There are birds that will migrate when the calendar turns to October 15th. But the majority, right. the big, big, big mass of birds are only going to move when there's snow cover. And if you don't have snow cover up north and you're not covering up their food source, they're going to hunker down wherever they are. So it's once again, it's back to that risk assessment, right? They are going to fly as far south as they have to and not to be any able to further. keep a certain, keep a certain amount of body fat to be able to get back to the prairie or wherever it is they're nesting uh, and breed mm-hmm. and have the successful to be able to pass on their genes. That's all they care about. All a duck cares about is not getting eaten and breeding. It will be interesting if we have a winter like we had in 82, if we could have that again, I would love for that to happen anyways, but we're, we're, we got really cold mid-November till Christmas. I mean, really, really, really cold, like that vortex we had a couple years ago. That would be – I would love to see what would happen if things would go back the way they were in the 70s where you couldn't – even with if you'd have been doing what you're doing now in 1970, 71, 72, and 73 – those ducks that are a bunch of those ducks y'all have would be in Louisiana because it stayed cold or wherever, yeah. wherever it would be at. And if we just Louisiana a, lost a big food source, no, 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 but I'm, but problem. they would go South is what I'm saying. The birds would have to migrate South because they had snow covered up their food. There wasn't a lot of open water and the food was covered up. That's the key to the whole deal. And if we ever I, have that I'm again, tell you right now, if Arkansas, if Arkansas got cold snow and all that stuff, they'd lose their, they'd either, they'd either lose them to the South or a bunch of them would die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's just going to happen, you know. and they're going to leave. Those ducks, those ducks can are adaptive. They're going to move. They may fly west. They yep. may fly east. Them fuckers might end up in Miami Beach, Florida. I mean, if it's that cold. Yeah. But they're going to go where they need to go. That's right. And honestly, we you know we want cold weather, but I don't want a foot of snow. Right. You know, I don't because I know we get a foot of snow here that stays for any amount of time. I don't care how much open water you have. We'll hold some ducks, but we're not going to hold two or three hundred, four hundred thousand of them. Yeah. And when I say we, I mean, Grand Pass or the Missouri, you know, the Missouri River will hold up to a million mallards in the right conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, in this in this part of the world between St. Louis and, and Kansas City, I can't imagine how many millions of, or how many hundreds of thousands, millions of ducks stay in that stretch of the Missouri River because it's basically an agricultural bottom with open water. But if we get a foot of snow, those ducks leave. There will be a small amount that stay on open water from wells and stay on the river at Hardy. You know, there's ducks that stay in North Dakota all winter. They'll find a standing cornfield or something like that to feed in, and they'll be in a some kind of rapid in the Missouri River up there or whatever, the Red River, and they'll stay. But for the most part, we get a measurable amount of snow. See ya. They're out of here. Yeah. And they may come back. You know, some of our best hunting is after a warm, after big cold snow, and then we get a melt, you know, a warm-up. We call it a reverse migration. We have some of our best hunting on a reverse because it's like resets the clock on those ducks that have been here for a couple of weeks. They get stale. They leave to the south. Here they come back. They may only go to the boot heel or they may only go to Jonesboro, you know, but, but they're coming back because they know, once again, the fastest they can get to that breeding grounds in the best condition they could be in, the first nesting attempt they can get on the ground, that gives them time to, if they nest, if, if they hatch their first nest, then 
that those ducklings will be bigger and healthier for the fall flight than if they had a second or third nesting attempt. And also if they get there early enough to attempt a first nest in April, that that one fails. Now they've got time for a May nest. If that one fails, they got time for a June nest. You know, mallards will nest up to three, sometimes even four times, you know, and like, I can't remember if we talked about this last time or not, but if you think about a hen mallard, I I think a, a mallard gestation period is like 27, 28 days. It might be a little bit shorter than that, but I know a Canada goose is 28 days. So let's just say a Canada goose, for example, they have, let's say they have seven eggs in their clutch. They lay one egg every day and a half, right? So that's, they start their nest on April 1st. They're going to lay, let's just say for, for math's sake, 10 eggs. That's 15 days of egg laying. Mm-hmm. So that's April 1st to April 15th, they're laying. So now they're incubating from April 15th until, so 28 days later would be like, what, May 13th? Yes, right around there, approximately. So, so from the time the first egg hits the ground until those goslings hatch is, six what, weeks. 48 days? Yeah, six, seven weeks. And now part of the reason why Canada geese are so successful is because they're aggressive towards nest predators. Yes. Yes. But a hen mallard is not, she's not going to fight anything off. So her nest that's on the ground for 48 days or 45 days, whatever it may be, that doesn't get found by a raccoon, a possum, a coyote, a fox, a vulture, a raven, a blue jay, a black rat snake, a house cat, literally everything eats duck eggs. And she actually hatches that brood. That's miracle number one. Miracle number two is there's enough water somewhere for her to get those ducklings to the water because mallards are upland nesting birds, so they might nest as far as a mile away from any water body. They get those ducks to the water. Okay, that's miracle two, that they didn't run into something that eats all the ducklings or a road they have to cross or something like that. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that video. of There's a, a hen mallard crossing a brood across a parking lot, and one of the babies falls down in a storm drain. I think I have seen that. And then she she goes back and all the rest of them fall down in the storm drain. Yeah. Had there not been some people there to find those, she just lost her entire clutch in one right. swoop. Right. And she just wasted 60 days of energy of nesting and hatching and all that. So what I'm getting at is the simple fact that we have any ducks at all is a miracle because mm-hmm. they're the, the odds are stacked so heavily against a hen mallard or any female b- ground nesting bird for that matter, Bob white quail, hen mallard, hen turkey, bobolink, whatever it is, the odds are stacked so far against those birds that the fact that we have as many as we do is a miracle. And it is credited to, you know, if it wasn't for duck hunters, there'd be no ducks Mm-mm. because we're the only, only people who give a dang about a duck. So we're the only people that support organizations like ducks unlimited or Delta, or, you know, give any reason for the U S fish and wildlife service to have the, you know, the refuge system and all that, because, you know, right, the, the, the entire wildlife refuge system is paid for by duck stamps and mm-hmm. Pittman-Robertson money, you know, that tax on hunting licenses. And if it wasn't for duck hunters, there'd be no any kind of any ducks, any geese, any anything anymore because farmers, I mean, we're farmers too, right? Mm-hmm. But all they want to do is they want to till as much ground as they can and plant as much ground as they can because they got to pay their bills and they got to feed their family. If there was no reason for anyone to leave potholes alone or you know to conserve grasslands in the in the prairie powell region there'd be none left you know it'd all be row crop yeah and you know so there's 
there's a lot of, you know, stuff like that. You know, you, you talk to people who don't duck hunt or don't, you know, they think, oh, it's cruel or whatever. Well, especially these, there's this new breed of what they call conservation biologists, right? There are these people that are like the bird watchers of the world or the people who want to get a master's degree in grasshoppers <laughs> and don't support hunting. And it's like, um, last time I checked, if you work for a state agency or the federal government, your paycheck is paid by hunters and fishermen. So, yeah. you know, I'm all for, I mean, I have a degree in wildlife management, right? I have done all the songbird stuff and this, you know, entomology, all that stuff. And I get it. That little woolly bear caterpillar has just as much right to climb up that tree as, you know, a white-tailed deer does to walk through these woods. But that white-tailed deer is going to raise so much money from the people that want to come to the state of Missouri and shoot that white-tailed deer. Right. And that's going to provide habitat for that little woolly bear caterpillar. So the, the people that you know are like, oh, I don't support hunting, but I support wildlife conservation. Well, you may want to rethink that. <laughs> it's kind of like kind of like the football, college football versus like college volleyball. Like if it weren't for football, fuck your bad no, or yeah. whatever. Like you need to be on your hands and knees yeah. thanking the football team for bringing the resources to the college to where they can, you know, branch out and have this badminton class or this badminton team right. or. or uh- bowling if i had to guess the unit if i had to guess the university of alabama has a, a crew team you know a rowing team yes yeah probably and there's probably about eight people in the state of alabama who care one bit about rowing right yeah they get all their you money know, everybody from everybody there cares about roll tide they care about football yep right but because they have enough money they have that budget they can have a crew team at alabama yeah you know so yeah it's, it's exactly the same thing it's like you know, sometimes you, you you shouldn't look the gift horse in the mouth when it comes to things like that. Well, and you know, you guys are vilified for flooding corn and all that, but nobody looks at how many right. ducks you're feeding and how many, like you said, you're sending right. healthy ducks north and south based off of the farming practices that you guys uh, employ there. We we keep track of our of our harvest numbers and all that. And last year, my lodge, you know, we killed like three thousand ducks in the 60 day season, we killed the first thousand in the first half of the season and the 2000, the second half. Yeah. Um, we probably fed, I don't know, 300,000. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, so we just, we killed 1% of the ducks that used our property. Yep. You know, and they didn't spend the whole winter here, you know, they move on. And then when they come back through in the springtime, like even right now, our, our moist soil units that are filled up with water for teal, there's, I don't even know how many species of marsh birds and rails and egrets and everything in those marshes that, you know, like we talked about as dry as it is there, that water wouldn't be there if it wasn't for us duck hunting, there would be every single rail that, you know, some people like to go out and shoot rails, but there, there's so many of them in our, in our marshes right now, because we have the only water. There's no natural water right now, besides the rivers and all that. There's no natural flooded marshes anywhere. Yeah, you know, so the only reason that water's there is because people are paying us to come here and shoot teal. Yeah, that's I mean, that's exactly right. Well, listen, yeah. we appreciate your time. You need you gotta get that tractor cranked up. How's yeah, Cooper them doing in Canada? Moment. Before we let you go, how how's Canada going? I think it's going pretty good. Every time, I mean, they're they're busy. You know, they they're on the road scouting or they're hunting or whatever. But I see on you know Snapchat and Facebook every day there seems to be a gigantic pile of ducks and getting to be some snow geese and. I heard the snow goose hatch in the eastern part of the Arctic was good. Um, so hopefully they start seeing more of them. And, 
Um, I know they've been shooting honkers and I think they've shot some cranes. I think it's been kind of rainy and crane hunting in the rain is no good in Canada. No, um, I don't think it's good anyway. Which I'm sure it's probably the same down there. Yeah. yeah. They just stay out in the field all day. But it seems like uh, everybody in Canada is having, having a pretty good year. So hopefully that, that continues on and they uh, the Ducks make their way to the U.S. Well, tell, it's it's going to be an interesting year. Tell Matt I appreciate the meal at Jackson, Sodas Point, and I look forward to seeing you again, my friend. Take care of yourself. God bless you, bud. Have a good season. You guys have a, have a safe fall. We'll see you later. Right, see you, thank bud. you. Bye. Arliss, good guy. Good, he is. He is a good dude. Good story. Glad he uh, – Changed his life for the better. Yep. Been really good. All right. Thank y'all for listening to us. God bless y'all. Have a good week. This comes out on Wednesday. Got Douglas Spell going to be on at the end of the week and our football pick them. Uh, thank y'all for listening. Go check out Alpha Outdoor Specialties, Bangtail Whiskey, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, Dirty Duck Coffee, Ducks Unlimited, Double T British Kennels, Looking Glass Podcast, Boss Shot Shells, Dive Bomb Industry, Specific Calls, Shin Gear Waders, and Gundog Outdoors.